Hi, welcome back to Your Best Life. I'm Miriam Lake. And I'm Sherry Purdy. And we have a special guest today, Angie Schmitz. Angie, say hi. Hello, this is Angie Schmitz. I'm an ARMP with gastroenterology. I have experienced about 15 years in gut health. Well, thanks for joining us today. We're just going to jump right in and talk about what people need to have screened as far as age-wise, family history, what kind of, what, what do people need to know about in their personal health? That's a great um, topic, Miriam, as March is Colon Cancer Awareness Month. And patients, the most common average age for colon screening is age 50, um, unless there is a family history of colon cancer. And depending on the age of the family member, immediate family member with colon cancer, it's actually 10 years prior to that age, patients should actually start being screened. Now, if there's any red flags, we like to call them factors, which would be a change in your bowel pattern, blood in the stools, weight loss, abdominal pain, caliber change, frequency change in your stools, you should really talk to your um, provider about that. As it may warrant it, you may need a colonoscopy earlier. Can I ask what is caliber? Caliber is the consistency or size. So what we say is if your stools have changed caliber to such as like pencil thin, you're not seeing the bulk of the stool as you normally had seen it. Um, either happy, stools are happening less frequent or more frequent than previous, then you may want to talk with your primary provider just to see if maybe you're warranted to see a specialist in gastroenterology versus um, having a diagnostic procedure such as a colonoscopy done earlier. So talk about jumping right in. We got right into the, the nitty gritty of what we're looking and talking about today. So you talked about uh, family history. So I had to have a colonoscopy at 46 because my father had colon cancer. So his was, you know, contained, they just removed part of the colon, but I got to, uh, Go ahead of the age 50, right, is the current age? That- Co- correct, yes. So the average age for the um, average person is age 50. But again, if you have any family history of colon cancer um, or family history of actually colonic polyps, which means greater than three polyps, depending on size, removed in an immediate family member, we should really have a conversation with that family member um, about screening colonoscopy earlier based on the age of diagnosis of the colon cancer or age when colonic polyps were removed. I just remember way back when Katie Couric was on the Today Show and her husband was diagnosed but then passed away fairly young of colon cancer. So that's kind of when it kind of all came about as far as what I remember when Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, you you know, colonoscopies and things like that. You really mm-hmm. need to get it done. So when people come in and you and they you tell them that they have to have one, what are their biggest concerns? Um, the biggest concerns with colonoscopy is probably the prep. There's a lot of pre-notion about the prep that it is horrible. They have to drink like liters and liters of this fluid to go to the bathroom consistently. And, you know, the prep has really evolved over time. As long as you don't have any preconditions, such as kidney disease, then you can have um, a very low volume prep that's only two glasses and 
the fasting part has improved to where you really do, you can have as much broth or liquids as you would like. And the procedure itself, patients tolerate very well as they are given some um, sedation type medication usually. Yeah, I'll have to say that from when I had my first one to the one I just had recently, the prep has definitely gotten a lot better. You don't have to drink nearly as much. And if you can just gulp it down quick, it's not bad. It is not. And patients, um, for the most part, do very, very well um, with the new preps out there because they are not the large volumes that Mm -hmm. um, past experience patients had received. So they really do do well with the prep. And and it's more of a mental, I believe, too, of the preconotion of just the colonoscopy in itself. But the patients have to remember they are given good sedative medication to make them relaxed. Yeah. I'll have to say that the last one that I had, if you can schedule your appointment for the first one in the morning, so I was first out of the gate, 6 o'clock. I was home by 8.30, took a little nap, and I went to a funeral visitation an hour and a half later. <laughs> yes. And I, I told her, I was like, you're crazy, because I would have stayed home all day to sleep mm-hmm. it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So um, my mother had one, and she doesn't, we took her out to dinner, and she don't even remember it. So it all yeah. depends on the patient, <laughs> yeah, really, um, and how well they metabolize the medication, how well they tolerate the medication mm-hmm. um, is a big factor. So yeah, the colonoscopy, in the most part, only takes a, about 30 minutes to 45 minutes, give or take. Most outpatient facilities keep you for an average an hour to make sure you do well and then you are free to go home and you know rest or um, do your normal activities. My husband actually had a colonoscopy his first colonoscopy when he was age 39 he had diverticulitis Mm -hmm. and he was having issues with bloating feeling abdominal pain and they ended up doing one and they did find polyps in him Mm -hmm. and they were benign but you know those kind of issues I mean, you just, you really take your gut health for granted, I think. And, you know, when we were talking to the surgeon about it, five years later, he came back in, they took the polyps out, and it was worse. And so it ended up that he had to have his his colon partially removed because the diverticulitis Mm -hmm. got so out of hand. But they talked to us a lot about prevention ahead of time with gut Mm -hmm. health. And I think our listeners need to really hear about the importance of gut health in general. And fiber was a big component of gut health. Can you talk about that? Yes. So there is a lot more studies going on about the gut biodome and gut permeability. Leaky gut is a term a lot of people are hearing out in the community. And and basically what it is, is we are not getting enough fiber in our diets. The average person does not get enough fiber in our diets and drink enough water, exercise, our diet is high um, in foods that do not contain enough fiber to, and most patients experience constipation, to be honest. And that goes along with gut health, Um, a diet high in red meat, carbohydrates, you know, you're more susceptible to constipation. I think people are, believe that is the normal of not having a bowel movement maybe once a week or once every four days when actually it should be, you know, once a day to once every other day. Um, 
But a lot of people in the community believe that is normal. Um, And it's really keeping your digestive tract moving Mm -hmm. because you do have a lot of different bacteria in your digestive tract that when your um, digestive gets out of balance can create a lot of different symptoms such as fatigue, abdominal pain, nausea, abdominal bloating, gentle just not feeling well in general. And it's restoring that gut biodome but gut health as well. Do you believe in the um, any of the probiotics that are out there right now? Um, yes, I do. There's a lot of probiotics coming down the pipeline. One thing, keep in mind, not a lot of studies have been done with probiotics. Certain brands, I'll put that. Um, the one that I have found is Align. I really do think Align because, and the reason I say that is there is a evidence-based study done with Align that has shown um, improved gut health with Align and bowel movements that are regular, less straining with bowel movements, more um, frequency of bowel movements, and overall improved gut health and symptoms. What you're doing with a probiotic is actually restoring those bacteria that are present in the gut Um, Once, say, an illness or travel, a food illness, you're restoring that after those types of illnesses. What about getting plenty of fluids and then exercise? Correct. So drinking enough water and getting exercise is going to help with motility of the digestive tract, which will in turn make it so you're not having trouble with those constipation, incomplete stools, straining with stools, those signs and symptoms of chronic constipation. You, um, when, when we talked about the biodome, that consists of the stomach, the small intestine, the large intestine, or is that just the entire gut system? It's basically um, your small intestine, large intestine. Um, they're doing a lot more research on that, so it's pretty new, and, but it's, it's very popular right now as people in the community are really interested in the leaky gut and because they're finding more and more diseases possibly associated with leaky gut. Now that it's very new, that's they're doing mm-hmm. a lot more research on that um, and they're doing a lot more studies on that. So um, I believe in the future, looking at gut biodome, leaky gut, how to restore gut balance um, with those bacteria in the digestive tract is going to be that's where our focus is going to be. You know, it's pretty interesting. You, it almost seems like every single person has had gut issues at one time or know someone that's had gut issues at one time. And I said this before, we do take our gut so for granted because of what we put in our bellies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all human. We all eat once in a while not so great. And we, we had mentioned fiber. What other things are really great for gut health? Basically, you know, eating a well-balanced diet, keeping a healthy weight is really important for gut health, you know, and seeking help when you feel that your digestive issues have become overtaking your lifestyle. You know, a lot of patients who have either chronic diarrhea, chronic constipation, they don't realize how much it's affecting their daily lives until it gets too almost to a point where they are unable to tolerate it. But if they look back, these symptoms have been going on for several months to years. Mm, Um, I know for my husband, it was a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think he dealt with it for two years before he went in and seen a doctor. He just thought it was normal. Yep. People really in the community, they believe that 
you know, going to the bathroom 10 to 12 times a day is normal for them. And like I said, going once every week is normal. Um, I've had patients who have come to me who have said they have a bowel movement once a month. And (laughs) so it's really knowing yourself and seeking that there is help out there and that maybe this is not the normal and really talking to your provider about gut health and what should be expected. Well, and I think a lot of people, you know, it's just like heart disease. You can't see what's going on internally, but if you could take a look at your insides, which is what why you need to have a colonoscopy because that's, Mm -hmm. you know, what what the doctor's doing. But just if you could see what was going on in there, then you'd be like, oh, wow, I need to start taking better care of that. Yes. Um, And going back to the colonoscopy, one of the, you know, people kind of get confused of screening colonoscopy versus diagnostic colonoscopy. So screening colonoscopy is basically, you know, you've reached that age where the, you know, they've recommended the colonoscopy at age 50 or before a family history and looking for polyps. Now, a diagnostic colonoscopy is because you're having diarrhea, um, blood in the stools, weight loss, um, abdominal pain, chronic constipation and medications are not working, that is more towards a diagnostic colonoscopy where we actually do take biopsies to look for underlying causes. And that's what my husband had was the diagnostic at age 39. And they did find polyps and they took him out. And and um, and then at that time, I think they said come back because of his age every three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he waited an extra year, but he should have been back a lot sooner than that because those diverticulitis symptoms reoccurred way before he went back for that fourth one. So I guess if you are listening out there and you're having these issues, don't wait because mm-hmm. medicines and different things he could have done would have helped tremendously. You Your know? husband was very healthy. Oh, and when we came in, that's that's what I wanted to tell people. You know, it is it is one of those things. My husband was super healthy, extremely fit, ate very well, and he ended up having issues with his gut. And it came down to, I remember the surgeon who who was watching his case basically said, you know, I came from a different state and we don't eat as much red meat. And she said, for every one person that I, that I treated back in the state I was at, I see at least 20 people in Iowa. And she said, I really believe it's because of the, the protein, the amount of protein that we, we eat here, the amount of meats and the lack of fiber that backs it up. And, mm-hmm. and she's like, if I could tell anybody in Iowa um, or anywhere, she's like, I would say, make sure you watch your fiber because if you're eating a lot of protein-based foods, which he was, uh, you need to push some fiber back into that gut too. Um, that's interesting you say that. I just read an article about red meat and people consume more than three to four times more red meat a week. They have an increased colon cancer risk of 12%. So we really need to be looking at our diets and our red meat consumption because I do believe in the Midwest we do mm-hmm. eat a lot of red meat and it really should be limited to three times a week. Yeah. And, you know, he he obviously has learned his lesson. Does he still eat red meat? Absolutely. But he also has a Metamucil with it at night. He has, you know, he's taken a lot of fluids and he's really much better about keeping his Mm -hmm. gut 
healthy. It's interesting that you brought up Metamucil. One thing I would like to say about Metamucil, if you're going to take a fiber supplement such as Metamucil, Benafiber, any of those over-the-counter fiber gummies, um, you really need to be drinking the water with it Mm -hmm. because what it can actually do if you're not pushing the fluids is actually create a blockage um, or create even harder stools to pass. So really make sure you're drinking the water and the fluids with that fiber supplement to make sure things continue to move appropriately. All right, so this might be too much information, but we need to talk about the look of poo. (laughs) Is there something I've always heard just growing up that, you know, you should look at your stools. And I know that sounds gross, but what can our stools tell us? You had mentioned something about um, stools should be softer than harder. Uh, I mean, what what should we look at? So with my patients, I do use something called a Bristol scale, but it's easier to give patients a visual. So um, you're never going to look at candy the same, but I use um, <laughs> milk duds That's for constipation. So I ask a lot of patients, you know, if your stools look like milk duds, then we're looking more at constipation, along with other symptoms. But if your stools more look like a Tootsie Roll, you still may be dealing with constipation because you're still having those dry cracks within your stool. If your stools look more like a soft sausage, then we're, we're on the right track. It's easy to pass. You're not straining. You're not having incomplete stools. You're not having where you have fecal incontinence. You're not having urgency. Then we're on the right track. If your stools are looking like pudding or applesauce, then you may want to consult with a provider. Maybe you need to change your diet. You, we need to look for infectious reasons, chronic inflammation. Um, now, if you're having pure water stools, such as you're having 10 to 12 stools a day, they're pure water, you're having fecal urgency, there's a foul smell to your stools. Of course, if you're seeing blood, um, you really need to contact your provider because there may be something more going on than what you realize. Mm -hmm. If someone came up with the diagnosis of they had colon cancer, so if you had a patient, Mm -hmm. you did the colonoscopy, colon cancer, what is the, the first line of treatment or Um, It really depends. Um, Usually it depends on where it's located, how big it is, and if it's metastasized. So there's a lot of variables that come into play with a patient who's diagnosed with colon cancer. So usually the first step is to consult with oncology um, and see where, you know, how invasive it is, is really what we need to look at um, and what the next step is. Most patients, not all, but most patients do end up with some sort of surgery to remove that section of the colon. And the whole purpose of a colon screening, I mean, really is to catch these polyps that have the potential to go into colon cancer. That's how we're decreasing colon cancer rates is we're screening appropriately. We're we're asking the questions of patients, you know, and it really does start at the primary provider. You know, do they have a family history of colon cancer or a family history of colonic polyps? You know, what type of cancer is involved in their family? You know, and it's really looking at how soon do we need to be screening these patients because we do know that if we screen these people appropriately, we can we are decreasing the risk of colon cancer by removing those polyps that have the potential to go into colon cancer. So taking it back, Miriam had her two colonoscopies when she got, well, you had it sooner than 50 because of your father Correct. having it. So I'm not quite there yet. I've never had one. We've all heard nightmares like we talked about before. We know about taking the fluid prior to to help us clean our gut out. Can you talk 
and walk us through, okay, so I take my fluid to clean me out. What next? And what, what happens after that? So um, usually it's a two-glass prep that you have to do. And then for our facility, and every facility may be a little bit different, but for our facility, we have you check in an hour before. We start an IV um, on you, and then we actually have in our own endo suite. And like I said, each facility is different. Some are connected to a hospital, some are not, some are freestanding but most all of them will have an endoscopy suite. And in that suite, you will have um, the uh, gastroenterologist, you will have your equipment to be able to visualize the colon and your colonoscopy scope. So the scope basically goes to what we call the end of this large colon and where it meets the small bowel. So you're able to visualize the whole colon. Um, And that's what you want. You want to be able to visualize the whole colon to remove any polyps, or and or lesions or masses in that area. Well, I got to tell you, my husband, I, I mean, he didn't mind the preps because it made him feel so clean and good. And he actually loved the sleep afterwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he actually liked it. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really not terrible at all all. I mean, in fact, my last one, I gave everybody five stars because it was the most pleasant experience that I could have had for having a colonoscopy. Yeah, just don't be afraid, you know. I think that's the biggest thing. I think every, you know, I've seen patients who have heard horror stories from family members, friends, they, you know, and I really, I believe if you have those concerns, talk with the provider who is going to be doing the scope or their office so they can give you reassurance on what is going to happen, what the risks are, what the benefits are. You know, just make your concerns voiced. That way you can feel confident in what you're deciding. You've given us some fantastic information. I hope our listeners are, are if you're having any issues out there, I hope you're listening to her and get your gut health checked into. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with, Angie, as far as gut health? Um, Just, you know, know that there is help out there. If you are dealing with chronic constipation, chronic diarrhea, chronic abdominal pain, you know, there is help out there. So many patients live their life on a day-to-day basis of, you know, they can't go out to enjoy things because they're worried they have to find a bathroom. They will not go on trips because they're worried that if in a car, they would have to find a bathroom and they're unable to live their life to the fullest. If I would just say seek help, there is help out there. Mm -hmm. So definitely. Well, thank you, Angie, so much for talking with us today. If you have questions um, that you'd like to ask us, you can find us at podcast at mercyhealth.com. Or you can also find all our episodes or ask questions at mercyone.org slash podcast. Thanks again. And thank you, Angie, for coming on. Thank you, everyone. And as always, guys, live your best life.